In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our gospel reading for this morning are selected verses from Matthew chapter 13. Then Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, where it grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the gospel of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, the Gothic lettering on Felix Baumgartner's forearm reads, Born to Fly. It was a motto that the young Austrian daredevil picked up early in life and thought that it you know, so encompassed his life's work that he needed to get it inked there permanently. Over the decades, he couldn't count how many times he had left firm ground in favor of thin air, parachuting from planes, base jumping from bridges, doing all sorts of, of stunts that got his blood pumping and his adrenaline going. But his last stunt, his swan song of a stunt, was going to be a little different. For this final stunt, he wouldn't be flying as his tattoo stated he was born to do. Instead, he would be falling. The tattoo was actually covered up at the time by the sleeve of a pressurized spacesuit. Felix had gotten into this small little pod and been lifted up by a massive helium balloon until he hovered on the very edge of space, four times higher than the summit of Mount Everest. His benefactor for this last great stunt was the Red Bull Stratus Project. Red Bull's the energy drink company. They've got a lot of money to throw at fun things like this. And so they could afford the best equipment for Felix. They'd brought in high-altitude technicians, test pilots, whoever he needed to bounce ideas off of. They could buy the computing power needed to run simulations and scenarios to have backups and redundancies in case any little part to detail went wrong. The whole point of the Red Bull Stratus project was to help Felix Baumgartner break the world record for the world's highest, longest, and fastest freefall. And so Felix hovered there on the edge of space. He knew the risks he was taking, but also knew how, how much detail had gone into the planning. And he stepped out. And he fell. Like a rock. He fell for 4 minutes and 19 seconds. He fell over 120,000 feet. 
At one point, he got into a flat tailspin and actually blacked out from the G-forces before regaining consciousness just in time to pull the cord, shoot opens up, and he's able to drift down safely into the warm sands of New Mexico as the newest world record holder. Felix Baumgartner, born to fly. Now the reaction to Felix's feat was mostly positive, actually. Everyone from former astronauts to news anchors, they, they lauded Felix for his courage, his coolness under pressure. They gave him a new nickname, called him Fearless Felix. But of course, along with the admirers, you have your naysayers as well. In fact, Forbes magazine ended up publishing an article that broke down his stunt bullet point by bullet point. And I believe they added the percentage of catastrophic failure, injury, or death by each part. A lot of people really liked that article because they thought that Felix wasn't fearless. He was instead foolish fear and foolhardy and just a touch reckless. As you can imagine, Felix didn't like being called reckless. Yes, he was a stuntman by trade, but he was the type of stuntman that would put in the hours and hours of work to make sure that these stunts were as safe as, as stunts could be. And really, you don't have to be a stuntman to not like being called reckless. None of us want to be called reckless. Reckless is the opposite of responsible or reliable. Reckless means that you don't really think too much about what you do or what you say, or maybe you do think and you just don't really care. Reckless is not generally a, a term of endearment. It's got a lot of negative uh, energy behind it, right? There's a reckless character in this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Did you, did you catch who it was? It's obviously not the seeds. You can't be reckless if you're not really an animate object. It's not the soil for the same reason. It's the sower, the farmer who's out there sowing those seeds. Now, most of the time we don't pay much attention to the farmer when we hear this parable, and, and with good reason. He's not the main focus. He certainly wasn't on the minds of those large crowds Jesus told this parable to. They were too busy trying to figure out why Jesus was telling them something they already knew. As an agrarian culture, it was pretty common sense that seed doesn't grow in bad soil. It grows in the good stuff. This great teacher, why is he telling us this very simple lesson? Well, the smaller inner circle of disciples that Jesus pulls aside later on and explains the parable to in that last paragraph, well, they're not really focusing on the sower either. They're focusing on the seed and the soil. And that's generally what we do, and that is the main point of the parable. But every now and then it's good to, to take a look at the side characters in these stories that Jesus tells. And especially this one. It's important for us to not overlook the farmer because he's so reckless himself. Purposefully reckless so that we notice him. I, I don't know all that many farmers. Maybe you know a few more than I do. But the ones that I do know are not reckless. In fact, they're the exact opposite. They are very responsible, very reliable individuals, often working on razor-thin margins. Every second counts, every dollar and every penny counts too. This is not one of those farmers. You can see him in your mind's eye, just throwing that seed kind of willy-nilly. Some of it falls on the, the, the sidewalk, the path next to his field, not a big deal. Some of it falls on clearly rocky soil, okay. The weed-choked ditch, yeah. Okay, everyone gets a little bit. And maybe you can chalk that up to biblical farming techniques not being quite as elaborate or efficient as, as modern ones are. He's not sitting in an air-conditioned cab of a John Deere with GPS planting perfect little rows. 
But anyone who's thrown a ball or really any object knows that you have a lot of control from your shoulder down to your fingertips. You can control where things go. And this was the, the common method of planting. So he's used to this motion of grabbing seed out of the little sack he's got and casting it around. He can control where this seed falls plenty fine on his own. So why is he sowing these seeds so recklessly? What kind of a farmer willingly wastes about 75%, if you read a little bit much into the parable, 75% of their seed wasted on the sidewalk, on the ditches, on the rocks? What kind of farmer is not just going to waste those hard-won, hard-bought, valuable seeds, but also his own time and energy walking back and forth among these fields? Something's off. Why is he so reckless? Perhaps you've thought something similar about how God operates in this world. I'm sure many of you have heard this parable enough to know that the farmer is God. The seed is his word. The different types of soil are the different types of, of conditions of the human heart. And so sometimes we do question why God spreads his word so recklessly. Because after all, God knows each and every individual's heart. He knows how they're going to react when the word is shared with them. That some will have hard hearts where the word simply bounces off of it. Others will, will grow up in the faith quickly, but just as quickly fade away when troubles come up because of that faith. Still others will have faith, but the cares and concerns of this world will slowly but surely push that faith to the back burner. So why does God waste 75% of his time, 75% of his infinite and boundless energy on those hearts? Or, or maybe you've thought something similar about how our church body or your own congregation operates. We have finite, limited resources in our time and energy and money, and there's not always a great return on the investment of spreading God's word to the people in your community, the people in your, your individual lives. Why does God spread his word recklessly? Why does he call us to spread his word so recklessly? Well, the answer to that question is that that's the very nature of God's love. God's love is not responsible. It's reckless. God loves everyone. Even those people whose hearts are, are hard like, like a sidewalk. Or those hearts that will grow up quickly with faith but then quickly fall away. Those hearts that will allow the worries of life to choke out that faith. And so he continues to spread his word to them recklessly. God loves people who have really no business being loved. And that includes people like you and me. Because our hearts are oftentimes just like those first three types of soil. Our hearts can be hard when the pastor says something that doesn't quite make sense to us, that doesn't quite jive with our own worldview, and so we ignore it, we don't take it to heart ourselves. Our hearts can be somewhat shallow. There are days where we're very zealous to do the work God has put before us, and other days where we'll just push it off till next week, pencil it into the calendar somewhere along the line. There are times when we let the cares and concerns and the worries of this life get in the way of what's truly important. It's a good thing that God's love is so reckless because that's just the type of love that you and that I need so desperately. That reckless love 
is what allows God to forgive us for the times that we deviate from his example. When instead of sowing his word recklessly, we, we try to pick and choose who's worthy of hearing about this, this wonderful message from God. God's reckless love is seen not just in our lives, but it's seen most clearly in the work and in the person of our Savior Jesus. The fact that God's own son would become a son of the soil, a brother who would come and live among the sinful mass of humanity. That's love. It's reckless love that empowered Jesus to take those royal robes off, put them on a hook and put on gardening gloves to come down into the filth and the muck of our world and of our sin, to live his 30 plus years here, spreading the word recklessly, but then also giving up that life to pay for those times that we deviated from God's example, to pay for those times that our hearts weren't receptive to his word either. In Jesus, we find God's reckless love embodied perfectly for us. And it's God's love that takes our hearts that are sometimes rocky, sometimes shallow, sometimes weed-filled, tills them up like a plow and makes them the good soil that we hear about in this parable. Soil that faith can be planted in and can grow. And can not only grow to, uh, not only grow to a certain extent, but can grow however much God decides it should grow. So that it has that bumper crop, that it's 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. God's love is reckless. His love for you is reckless. And that's why he spreads the message of that love so recklessly. And that's truly an amazing thing, that he spread that word to us and now he turns the reins over to us to go and spread that word to others. That does lead to the question though, what does it mean to spread the word recklessly? What does that look like in your life, in the life of your congregation, in the life of our, our church body as a whole? Does it mean that you take your mission plans here at Abiding Grace and you kind of crumple them up and toss them towards the wastebasket and just go hog wild all the time. We're going out into the community every single day. Everyone's going right now. Does it mean that you can kind of gloss over budget concerns? Let's just funnel everything towards outreach. Don't worry about anything else. Does it mean that as individual Christians that you need to try to shoehorn Jesus into every conversation and interaction that you have? Not really. There's nothing wrong with long-term planning as a church. There's nothing wrong with allocating funds to make sure that everything gets done that needs to get done for a church to carry out its work. There's nothing wrong with just talking with your neighbor, getting to know them a little bit. What it does mean, though, is that as you make plans as a congregation, as we make plans as a, a church body, we keep our purpose over top of everything else. Our purpose to spread the word that has been shared with us. And as we budget money, both as congregations and as a church body, we make sure that we allow those outreach opportunities to happen, to be funded, so that that word gets put out into the world as much as possible. Spreading the word recklessly in your life doesn't mean shoehorning Jesus into every conversation. But it does mean letting the love of Jesus be evident in every conversation. Of course, when we talk about spreading the word recklessly, we also have to talk about the audience who that word is going to. Spreading the word recklessly means spreading it to all people, which sometimes is easier said than done. 
we, we tend to have a, a birds of a feather flock together sort of thing, mentality. Not just Christians, but all people. We're more comfortable with people who are like us, whether that's because they dress like us or think like us or believe the same things as us. And sometimes that mentality seeps into our spiritual outreach and who we share the word with. But nowhere in scripture does God give prerequisites that someone needs to be this or that in order to hear his word, in order to be on the receiving end of his love. In fact, it's just the exact opposite. You hear Jesus give these wide open invitations. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And when he sends out his disciples, which also means when he sends us out, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And so that's what we get to do. Just like the farmer in this parable, we get to go spread the word recklessly, letting God choose where and when he wants it to bear fruit. All we do is we, we share it. We share it with all people, regardless of, of race or class or education level or income bracket or political leaning. doesn't matter. God loves each and every one of us with the same amount of recklessness. And he wants his word to reach everyone as well. Now the tricky thing with spreading God's word is that it's not as dangerous as free falling from the upper atmosphere, but there are still some risks involved with it. There's the risk of, of rejection, the risk of failure. Those are very real risks. You can do everything perfectly, whether it's planning and preaching as a church or, or speaking with someone, trying to find the right word, conversation, and you can still fail. They can still reject what you're trying to give them. It's a very real thing. But those failures and those rejections, they serve a very important purpose for us because they bring us back to God and remind us that we have our plans, but God has his plans too. And they may not always match up, but we can trust that God's plan is always infinitely better than anything we could cook up. Still doesn't mean that we uh, should stop planning though, whether that's as congregations or, or as a synod. I'm privileged to be a part of our, our church body's plan to spread the word, not just today or tomorrow, but hopefully for decades and, and maybe even centuries into the future. I work at Michigan Lutheran Seminary. It's one of the, the two preparatory high schools that encourages kids specifically to think about becoming pastors and teachers. But MLS is a very unique place outside of that as well. The word seminary actually means seedbed. And that's basically what we have up in Saginaw. We've got these little sapling Christians that their parents send to us and we plant them in God's word in chapel every day. We water them with God's love, whether that's through religion classes or Christian relationships in the dormitories or in the student unions. And then we get to watch God's word go to work in their hearts and watch him grow that faith that he planted for many of them long ago with their baptisms. And we get to see that faith start bearing the crop that Jesus describes in Matthew 13. And that's one of the coolest parts of my job. I invite you to come up and just walk through the hallways to see it for yourself. Of uh, These high schoolers who are far from perfect, don't get me wrong, but to see the faith that they have and the ways that they show that faith already as 14 or 15 year olds. You see athletes, instead of posturing over someone that they just knocked the teeth out of on the football field, they immediately go to help them up. Or you'll see a, a knot of kids helping that one student that's having some trouble, whether that's in the classroom or back at home talking them through it. Anywhere you look on campus, you'll see students 
honing their gifts and abilities, whether that's at a desk or behind an instrument or on a stage or on a court or a field. It's a really amazing thing to see God work in the hearts of these young people, and it's exciting to think about what work they may get to do as they get older. And that's really our prayer, not just for our students, but for all, all young people everywhere, that God would use them in his plan to spread his word recklessly. The wonderful thing, although half of our students hopefully will go on to become pastors and teachers, the other half will choose other careers and vocations. But we know that our students and, and all Christian young people, no matter where they come from, no matter where they go, God will use them in his plan. He will use them to spread his word recklessly, to share the love that's been shared with them, whether that's in front of a church or a classroom or just across a cubicle or a hallway or a kitchen table or a backyard fence. It's an amazing thing that God does as he works in human hearts with his reckless love. Now Felix Baumgartner did not like being called reckless, even though he was a stuntman and probably should have expected that some people would not agree with his line of work. Again, we are not free-falling through the upper atmosphere. But we are doing something just as thrilling when we take the word that God has shared with us and spread it to the people around us. There are certainly risks involved. Not as many risks as Felix faced, but risks all the same. Rejection and failure. And yet it's worth the risk to see God's word work. To see the light go on behind someone's eyes when they realize exactly what it is God is offering them with his love through his Savior. So friends, it is worth the risk. It's worth the time. It's worth the energy. It's worth the money. It's worth everything to spread the word recklessly. May God bless you as you do that every day. Amen. Please stand.